0: Welcome to Ridgeview Church. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the lead pastor, and we are so glad you have decided uh, to join us today. So, who are like Thanksgiving? That's not the holiday. Who are Halloween, dude? I have so skipped over. Who are Halloween fans? Uh, Any you guys like Halloween? Like, yeah, happy happy Halloween. Any church history buffs? What's the holiday today for his the Reformation Day? Yeah, if you don't know what that is, you could Wikipedia it. It's the Time when Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the, the wall, talked about the reform needed in the church. And so uh, here we have a, a holiday and lots of different things, but at the the, the like center of, of Halloween is certainly uh, part of giving. And if you're a kid, like this is the greatest holiday that is ever invented. because it's a very small cost that you have to give, literally put on anything. Close and you will get free candy. And you just knock on people's doors you may never have seen or talked to, and you open a bag and they will literally give you the sweet goodness, okay? And uh, there's only two words you have to say. What are they? Trick or treat. It's very interesting because really all we want are treats. We're not dressing up for tricks. We're not suffocating in that plastic saliva-filled mask because we want tricks. Like, we want treats. And so at the height of Halloween is a sense of, like, it's about people um, who give. And they literally give freely. Like, there's nothing that you do except just go around, and you knock on a door, and you hopefully smile, and and you open your bag. And part of Halloween, which I think is a great thing, is, like, the sense of, like, people are, are generous how many of you enjoy handing out candy uh, to, your, to your neighbors? And isn't it so interesting, like there's the universal way that you want to communicate to everyone that you don't want to give. It's like, don't turn on your porch light. <laughs> don't turn on any lights in your house. And in fact, don't be home. And if you are home, you'd be in like the, the room on the other side so nobody knows. And there's like a universal, like if you don't want to give, you just don't have that porch light on. And then you got the aggressive kids. They're like, there is no porch that's going to keep me from coming or going. I'm going no matter what. You could guess which group I was a part of. Uh, but we are, we are thrilled to be together. And uh, today we're talking about uh, giving. And I, I think it's fitting in light of what I've just said. Uh, but the interesting thing about giving is sometimes if you're new to church, one of the, the sermons that you hope you'll miss is today. And so I give you permission. You can leave right now. And you could even time it like five minutes from now, so people may not remember I said this. But there's a part of us, when we, we think of church, uh, no matter our history, there's a sense of like maybe your experience, like you hear a lot, I go to church and all they talk about is, is giving. And you, you may have had that experience. And uh, the interesting thing about money and giving and finances and stuff and materialism is that if it's not in the Bible, uh, don't talk about it. That's what I say. We, we need to talk about what's in the Bible. But it's in the Bible. And because it's in the Bible, we have to talk about it. In fact, Jesus talked so much about giving. He talked a lot about rich, being rich, and the, the struggle that is. He talked a lot about the heart. And he talked a lot about materialism. And he talked a lot about the kingdom of God. In fact, giving and stewardship is second only to what he talked about related to the kingdom of God. So when you look at the breadth of just Jesus teaching, his instruction, his perspective, he never went around money. And he never went around the importance of being a generous people. And so what I want to do today is there may be some things in your own head, in your own past, which are like barriers and obstacles, like it makes you feel uncomfortable when you talk about money. It might be the thing that you don't necessarily want to talk about in any situation in a group. And so what I hope to do today is to actually dig into what God's Word says. This is not going to be every scripture found on the subject but we're going to kind of hone in and what does it mean to be the type of people that, that trust God and actually want to do what he says in this specific area of being a generous person? And what I propose to you is that what God's word does is no matter what stage you're in, it has, it has a way. It will speak to you right here no matter what you may have thought before, uh, no matter your preconceived notions. That's what God's word does. As you open it up, it speaks to you. As you read it, it reads you. And so as we talk about this, there's certain things that uh, may be a struggle, and this is not to condemn. This is not to uh, even say, like, Ridgeview needs your money. I- in fact, uh, we don't need your money. In fact, God doesn't need your money. God is God. He owns everything. But what the Scriptures tell us, it's actually more about us. In fact, it's 100% more about us than it is God. But he has set forth uh, clear scriptures, and so we want to uh, dig in that uh, today. Uh, what I want to do is start with some teaching that you may have heard before. Uh, Jesus, teaching in the book of Matthew, and he talks about the place where you need to be focusing your resources, the place where you need to be uh, focusing on your money. Money. There's a sense of, like, you have to keep this at the forefront uh, in your mind. And he had uh, people listening, and he's teaching and uh, just Telling people like this is the way forward. And and you find his words in Matthew 6. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And so this is a command. Jesus is saying, like of all the things that you do, make sure that your focus isn't all about the here and now and the temporal and material things that will not last beyond your life. So it's a perspective shift. What Jesus is saying is, This is the way of the world, this is the way of culture, this is the way of media. Do not go this way. And Jesus did this repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly. It's a way to get our attention. But in the first sentence, you can miss it. And he's just telling you, don't do this. Don't go that way. Don't be led astray. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. There's a sense of like, it breaks down. I don't know if you've ever had something new and it like gets a nick or it gets bent. And some of you I talked to, you know, if you were here about my problem with new things, how I never want to open it. Um, if you missed it, you could listen, which you're not going to know because I haven't told you where it is, but just, you'll find it. <laughs> I think it was two weeks ago. But it's the sense of like, you know, when the things are new, you want to preserve it. And I remember years ago, I had a Toyota Tacoma truck, and it was like, it was beautiful. It was silver. And uh, I remember the first time that I backed it into a parking lot, into a light pole. Thank you. Thank you. And it dented the bumper. And I literally thought, like, I don't want it anymore. It's blemished. <laughs> I'm done with it. And it was like, it, I, I, it was my pride and joy. And then it got dented. I was like, forget it. I didn't forget it. I just, and I never fixed it because I'm like, it's a bumper. And I just, every time I looked at it, I was like, oh, it just, it hurt. And that's, that's the, the idea of, like, if you want a vehicle or if you want something that will be perfect and without blemish, like, you're going to be in trouble, because things get messed up. They always get messed up. Years ago, I bought a new barbecue and I pulled it in that truck that I loved, but no longer did. And as I'm driving the brand new barbecue home, I did not tie it down. Man, you got, man, I'm feeling like really loved and supported. Can I just say that? Like, it's very meaningful to me. And I'm in on the freeway coming from Orange County and the barbecue just falls down. And I just thought, I'm, I'm done with you too. I'm going to leave you on the side of the road. And I just was so bummed out. And like the whole front was dented. It was like the first barbecue I'd ever bought with my own money. I'd always got barbecues from my dad. Like that's what you do as dads. You pass on old barbecues <laughs> to your sons. If you didn't know that, make a note of that. And so it was my first one. And then no joke, I got home and I literally with a lighter began to try to melt the metal dent so I could put it back into shape. And you asked, when did you get your blacksmith training, Alex? And right then I did. It was, and I, and I literally thought, how pathetic am I? I have a lighter burning behind the dent, hoping that it will become malleable enough to make it right again. Have you ever done anything so stupid? And that's when you say, no, Alex, of course we have not. (laughs) But the reason that's so important is that there's a sense of which we are always trying to defy the reality of stuff, and that is moth and rust will always destroy it. Doesn't matter how well you preserved it, even if you preserve it your whole life, because when you die, it still will go on, it will go to someone else, and they may not take care of it, and then it will come a point where it will all burn, everything. I feel like this is gonna be long today because I just, all right. So moth and rust Short, and where thieves break in and steal. Have you ever had something? I have like lots of stories I could tell. I remember I had a, a radio once. It was like my first radio. Remember the old radios that you would snap on? Like this wasn't the, it was like the custom and it would like have lights. Like I'm old school. Radios didn't, used to have lights. And then they have like subwoofer settings. And then I got this brand new radio. It was like, again, my pride and joy. And then somebody broke in uh, to the sliding glass of my truck and took it. And if nothing is worse than having a faceplate, that's like nothing is there. And you can't even listen to the right, you can't do anything with it. And you feel like if you ever had something stolen from you, you kind of feel like violated, like, dude, they totally broke into my truck. They took what was mine. And that, that actually happens. It happens frequently depending on where you live and where thieves break in and steal. And then Jesus goes on, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Pay attention to this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you, us to read this together, okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying is it doesn't matter who you are, where you live, how great your strategies are. If your life is about materialism and consuming wealth, and that is it, it will just be decaying and decaying and decaying. And your identity will be decaying, decaying, decaying. And I have an illustration I want to show you. This is a, this is a heart, right? And then you see what's connected. What is that? Specifically? Dollar bill. Okay? Uh, to some, this may seem like this is a lot of money. To others, you're like, dude, I, I don't even waste my time with dollar bills, you know? Me, I'm, I'm, I'm literally going to take this as soon as I'm done and put it in my pocket. <laughs> so you know. But this is a, uh, this is a dollar bill, and, and this, this is your heart. And so uh, oftentimes what we have in, in life is like a sense of like uh, we have things that we care about, we love, and our passions, and, you know, our money follows it. If you have kids in sports, uh, and your kids are into it, and then you're into it, your money follows it, Right? You ever realize, like, dude, I just spent a lot of money on kids' sports. Like, we're living that right now. So your heart is just is, is going where, where it is, and then the money follows. And this idea of, like, what, what you invest in, uh, that's where your interest is. Like, investing in interest. Like, what you're interested in is what you've invested in. And that, that's life. But what, what Jesus is saying is there, there's something also true, and that is the opposite. The string is attached, and it goes both ways. It's like where you send your, your money, what happens your heart goes as well. That's what Jesus is saying. Not only does our heart cause us to invest in things, but where your money goes is where your heart is. And what Jesus is saying is you want to be very careful, the treasure that you pile, because wherever you pile your treasure, what's going to be attached? Wherever you pile your treasure, your heart will be. Wherever you pile your treasure, your heart will be. And Jesus is saying, you have to be very careful, because is your heart attached to a treasure that is decaying and laying to waste? Or is your heart attached to a treasure that will go on forever? And no matter who we are and where we are, this reality is clear, and it always is. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. What you invest in has your interest. It has your attention. And what Jesus is saying, its overall perspective is be very careful. Pay attention. Everyone else is looking to build treasures here and now. But you have an opportunity, if you're a follower of Christ and you're a Christian and you're investigating what it means to follow Jesus, what Jesus is saying is you have an opportunity to give beyond space and time and to give to the real God of heaven which he does not decay. And he is almighty and he is all powerful. And whatever you connect and you give to him becomes as real as everything here and now on this earth. That's very difficult because we don't see that often, but we see the receipt from Costco and think like, how did I spend that much money? We can see it, but the things that Jesus is saying is like, there's a sense of he's talking about reality. He's talking about the good life. He's talking about blessing. And also the fact that you can't necessarily see it. That's very challenging for us in this day and age. Because most of the time, what do we say? I'll believe it when I see it. The issue with us related to generosity and giving is oftentimes it's there for us to see. But we're so busy looking at our decayed pile and all we see is that. So what God wants to do is as we look at the scriptures, as we were reminded of what Jesus says is, Lord, help us to look at the right pile of treasure, the one that, that nothing can take it out, that nothing can destroy it, that, that nothing uh, can, can hurt. And the issue is for us to grow spiritually as a church and for you to grow spiritually as a person, you can't detour around money. Money and your spiritual growth are closely connected. That's why Jesus talks so much about it. And you can't grow without the aspect of giving. Most of the time we measure, you know, growth related to money by by what we earn, and then it increases our, our spending capacity. The more we earn, the more we can spend. What Jesus is saying is actually for you to make the greatest investment of your life, the more you earn now increases your opportunity to give. It's the opposite. It's not what you can spend, but it's what you can give. And growth in this life here and now is tied to that and will always be tied. The more I get creates an opportunity for me now to give even more. But it's very easy for all of us that money can drag anchor in our heart. It can slow us down. It can prevent us from moving forward. And that's why Jesus spoke so much about it. So I want to kind of Talk about principle of, of like the treasure, because I think this is a key question. How much money does it take to move our heart? So, you know, for some of you, if I did a raffle and I was like, at the end of this sermon, the lucky ticket will win this balloon with a dollar attached. How many of you would put your your you know name in for that? Okay. Now, what if this was like $50? How many of you would put your, your name into that? What about if it was like 100 500 What if it was $1,000? Right? See, most of our hands are going up. And now you guys are waiting for like a prize I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> but, it, you know, money, money gets our attention. So what Jesus is saying, he's not talking about a specific amount. He's talking about a principle. And the principle is treasure. And that amount could be different. But it's a certain amount that gets your attention more than other amounts. So what moves our heart? A, a treasure. So the rest of the time, I want to talk about money uh, in, in really a correlation to this idea of this treasure that we have. Now, our treasure is certainly the money you receive from what you earn uh, as you work. A treasure can also be the things that, that you've been given. It could be your, your stuff that, that you own, but it's a sense of, like, all that I have that God has given to me. And in different aspects of our life, that kind of constitutes our treasure. And so I want to just walk through three aspects of what treasure-level giving is this point of like, okay, what does it mean for me to look at my stuff and all that God's given me and be willing to be used by God to attach what I have right here and now to something that goes on forever to the God of heaven? So let's start. First, a treasure level giving uh, is thoughtful. Treasure level giving is thoughtful. There's a sense of which what we do and how we give is something that we actually think about. Uh, you can find this in 2 Corinthians 9, seven. It says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What word stands out to you? And it, this isn't like a trick question, but what word stands out? Cheerful, what else? Anything else? Giver, anything else? Reluctantly, anything else? If I keep asking, it will be like every word up there. <laughs> right? But, but as you, you read this, you see some, like some interesting perspective. First, like cheerful. Now, this is literal in the sense that when you give, there should be a delight that you have, like you get to be a part of something that goes on into eternity. There is no commercial or marketing that can actually be better than that. There's nothing that can compete with forever and the impact that you could have in forever. And so what the scriptures are saying is like, there's a sense of like where so much of our attitude is with giving is like, man, it's kind of a drag that anchor again is pulling at our heart or it's hard or it's difficult or it's something that I don't want to just think about. But as you read the scriptures, it's this idea of like the premise of giving and generosity is not just something that you just feel and you arrive at it emotionally. It's actually giving and generosity is something that you think about and you do. You do not wait for your emotions to arrive. Now, for some of you, you're not that emotional. If you waited for your emotions to do anything, people would be waiting a long time. Some spouses are like not wanting to look. At your spouse, because that's, that's how it is in the dynamic of a relationship. Some are more emotional, some are less. And it's the same in every aspect. There's a sense of like, sometimes you just don't feel like doing things. What the scriptures are saying is, is don't let your emotions, whether they're good or bad, lead you. You decide. And the scripture here, uh, it cheerfully literally means a readiness of mind to do what is, is good. A readiness of mind, like I've given thought to giving, I've given thought to being generous, and I'm ready to do it. I'm prepared to do it. I've thought about doing it. It's not something that I'm I'm just uh, feeling. And what I also like is that it's not about being under pressure or reluctantly. I think some of the time, some of us, it's so hard to talk about money because you may have been guilted in your life Uh, for all sorts of things, and even maybe in this area. Anytime you are guilted into something, uh, it is not transformative. And so if you're a parent, I encourage you, don't guilt your kids into anything. They will conform. It's the same in the church. Anytime you feel like you don't have freedom, you're in trouble. Because all of us know if we don't have freedom, then we're not willing. And if we're not willing We don't have our heart into it, and if our heart's not into it, then we just wait for us to get our heart, and that's when we're chasing our emotions. But the idea here is, God, you have given me everything I have, and I don't need to feel guilty, and I don't need to feel under pressure. In fact, I am completely free to give to you, and I've decided with my readiness of mind that I will do it. It's this picture of this this relationship, and in fact, it reminds me of, my early relationship with my wife. Here's a, here's a throwback. Dude, I look young. <laughs> you ever look at old pictures like, man, I'm stressed out. I didn't have a care in the world back then. That's Sam and I. I was 21 years old. This is at my home. We had an uh, engagement uh, party, and uh, it was Pampered Chef. It was the greatest party I've ever been in. You know why? It was a Pampered Chef party, and everyone bought it for us. Those are the kind of parties you want to go to. And uh, here, you know, this was early in our, our relationship. Looking back, this was in 2002. We got married that year. And uh, a lot of this idea of, of not letting your emotions is, is a relationship commitment. It's, it's the same. Uh, obviously, I, I love my wife. And through the years, uh, there's all sorts of strong emotions connected to that. Uh, In fact, I love her more uh, than I did back then. And you hear a lot of couples saying that. And I hope that's true for all of our marriages. But the key to a successful marriage is not that you feel in love. Don't let anyone tell you that. Because there are some days where you don't feel in love at all, right? In fact, you're like, man, I just fell out of that. (laughs) And you just wait for that to come back. But the key of A marriage and a covenant is a commitment. Like, it does not matter what I feel. It matters what I do. You got, you got, I tried to move on, but that, you were fired up right there. But that's the truth. That's the truth. Because we need to be people who are committed. And we do what's right, even when we don't feel like it. And what happens is, as you do what's right based on God's word and the truth and commitment, what you find over time is the richness of feelings actually do come. It's not empty or hollow, and it's not like we're robots. And it's the same with, with, with giving. There's a sense of which, like, God, I want to think about this. I want to take you seriously. I want to be committed to this. I don't know what that means for me. But I do want to take it seriously. And so wherever you are, if you're there, at least enough that, like, God, I want to think about it. I want to consider what it means to be a generous person who represents you well. God will begin to move your heart. And he'll begin to move the kind of pile that you want to build with your life. So that's the first thing. Treasure level giving uh, is thoughtful. The second is treasure level uh, giving is uh, proportional. Uh, It's actually connected to thoughtful as well. But the idea of proportional is uh, you can, according to Scripture, actually decide a percentage or a proportion to give. It's not specific. You can't dig into a, like, the Scripture and find what you should give to God on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, an annual basis. Like The amount isn't there. But what God does, he deals actually with uh, principles of proportion. And it, it, it's what represents like the whole. It's not random. It's not a guess. It, it's uh, specific. And the idea is, how does this, what I'm giving, and in uh, my opportunity to release my my resources for God, uh, what does that represent of my whole? Now, anytime you hear a percentage, what would be your biggest fear of what God would ask you to give? Anyone? A hundred percent. I think we could all agree that would be very limiting in some of our willingness to follow. Like if it's like, okay, you become a Christian and then the offering goes by and you literally just drop your card in there, your credit card, and the deed to your house, and your pink slip, and you say, God, it's yours. I think the offering would be a little bit less, right? Because there's a sense of like 100% like, how does that work? It's not, it's not feasible. Well, in Scripture, there actually are a couple examples of people giving 100%. Well, one that did, and the other that was challenged and did not. Uh, the first uh, you find in Scripture in Luke chapter 21, it's in other Gospels too, and it's the story of the widow who gave the two widow mites. And Jesus is talking with his disciples as he did. And he taught them, and he oftentimes would see situations, which are great teaching points, and he would use them as case studies to drive home a point. Always use life to teach. It's the best. It's experiences. That's how you learn. And Jesus did this repeatedly, and there were people that were giving large amounts, like in the offering, at a worship. They're just pouring in their money, and there's a sense of, like, they wanted everyone to know this money was coming in. And Jesus stops and says, you know, pay attention. And as they were paying attention, they saw a widow who gave two small copper coins and dropped it in the offering. Those two copper coins would be just like about two pennies. Now, if I had two pennies attached to this heart, we'd be like, you know, pennies we throw away. It's like not worth it. And what Jesus said was very interesting. He said, she put in more Than all the others. Now, how could that be? How could somebody who put in two pennies put in more than all the others who put in vast sums? What Jesus was getting at is he's talking about the proportion. She gave literally everything she had, she gave 100%. She knew in her state, with where she was as a widow, the two pennies that she had would not change her life. The only thing that would change her life was God. And what she said is, I'm banking not on my money, not on my resources, I'm banking 100% on the Lord Jesus. And that's the opportunity we all have. And there's another story. Uh, this is uh, in the Gospels uh, as well. And this is in Matthew 19. And there's a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. And says, basically, like, how do I inherit the kingdom? How do I make sure I'm on track? How do I make sure I'm growing? How do I make sure that I'm doing everything that God wants me to do? And Jesus tells him, you know, you want to follow the commands. And he states the Ten Commandments. You know, do not commit adultery. And he goes on and on. And the man says, like, you could imagine, I've done all of those. And I've loved you. And I've loved people. I've done all of it. What Jesus tells him next is seeing what was going on. That is seeing his heart. And then he had great wealth. He said, you know, this this you haven't done. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the scriptures say the man, if you could imagine going from the height of clarity like he has it all together, he's done everything that was required of him. The man goes away. The scriptures say sad. Very interesting. What it shows is, obviously very different amounts, but one who is willing to give 100% and one that was not. And Jesus goes on and talks about how hard it is for the more stuff you own to be generous. Why? Because where your what is, your treasure there is your what? Your heart. And Jesus repeatedly taught this again and again. And so money is a tremendous tool from moving our heart towards God. If you want to grow, again, it won't detour around your money. It will go right through your bank account. It will go into your checking. It will go into your resources. It will go into your stuff. And Jesus will continue to ask, how much are you willing to give? And he will do that repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly. And he does that because he loves us, because that's what helps us grow. The good news is, in those instances, those are not the norm. But in terms of a proportion, when you look at Scripture, specifically in the Old Testament, uh, the proportion that was commanded of God's people was to give 10%, literally a tithe, which means a tenth. So there's a sense of, like God's people, has get, you know, you've received all this from God, God just wants a portion back and you give him 10%. Now the question is, again, does God need 10% of what we make? No, he's God. He doesn't need it. So there's got to be something uh, that that's going on now. There's a lot of different ideas, and some of it's theological, related to as Christians today. Now that Jesus has come, is the law void? Like, do we still have to live off of that? And and oftentimes, uh, depending on our position, we kind of just wrestle with that ten percent. Like, is that something that we still need to do? And that that's something that you you want to research yourself. You want to dig into the scriptures yourself. I recently. I began doing this for me, just so I could stand before people and kind of, here's what I see as the scripture saying, and here's an example, and it's not here on the screen, but, but listen to this, Matthew 23, 23, it says, woe to you, this is Jesus te- teaching again, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Jesus always did this. He went for the religious leader setting in the wrong example. He says, woe to you. Now you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. The idea is this, they were wanting to be so literal as to appear that they were obeying the law that they would literally have a mint plant and they're like cutting off and measuring what 10% of that would be. Could you imagine? And it was like, look, we've done this even to the smallest crop that we have. And what it was focused on was like self-righteousness. Look at how good we are. Look at how much we obey. And Jesus knew it the heart and money, were leading in the wrong direction. And then Jesus says, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Very interesting. Now he's saying that that you're you're focusing on tithe. There's actually more important matters. And he names them justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You're here so focused on a tenth of your littlest plant, and you don't love people. Woe to you. But what's interesting there, it it actually doesn't end. And he goes on. He says, you should have practiced the latter, love, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. So when you read the scripture, there's a sense of like this tithe and giving. This is something that like you, you have to settle before God. You have to take a step to obedience there. And then as you do, you actually get onto more weightier things but you don't focus on one and neglect the other. Again, growth and our resources and our money are always connected. And here's the key issue that you see in this, in Matthew, is, is this question. How much confidence do I have that God will come through? That's the issue as it relates to money. Back to what Jesus said. Which pile are you willing to support the weight of your life on? Is it the pile of all your things, of your money, of your retirement, or are you banking on God and his promises and he will take care of you? Even if it means you may have a smaller pile on this earth, but a greater pile in forever. That's what Jesus is getting at. How much confidence do you have? How much trust do you have with with your, your things? And so as your confidence in God grows, grow your percentage. If you don't give 10%, right now, this could feel like this is the worst news you have ever heard in your life. But part of it is you, you may not have confidence in God yet to give 10%. You may just be like, I don't, I'm not there. I don't have the faith for that yet. And that, that's fine. Pick a percentage. And I encourage you, pick a percentage over an amount because an amount can be so random. But pick a percentage. I'm going to give this amount. And then as you pray and you say, God, I'm where I am. I'm willing to give 1% to you right now. I'm willing to give 2%. I'm willing to give 5%, whatever the amount is. God, I give this percentage to you. Will you come through? And you ask God, and then you wait and see. And then when God comes through, your confidence grows. And as your confidence grows, you up the percentage. God wants you to grow, He wants you to take steps forward, so you have to decide, you know what that looks like. From all my experience, when people take that step towards a tithe, and they get to it and they go, beyond that, and that's also not the ceiling. You can give more. God becomes, again, so real, realer than anything you can see or experience on this earth. Uh, in the Old Testament you always see God interacting with his people and always challenging their hearts and always testing them and calling them on things. He's the God who is active. He's the God who sees. He's the God that's involved. And he still does that today. And in the book of Haggai, uh, we come to an account where the people were in a recession. Income is down. And I just, as I was reading more of the context of Haggai, I kept thinking like, man, it kind of feels like right now. I go to get gas, and I feel like I need a loan, right? Or you go to the grocery store, and you're like, stuff's expensive. And it just feels like prices are just going up and up, inflation's going up and up, and it just feels a little bit more like, wow, this is not how it used to be. And in the book of Haggai, income was down, stress is up, and so many stopped tithing. It's like, God, I got to take care of me. It's too stressful. There's too much going on, and God gives them a warning. Let's read this. It says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways, okay? Treasure level, giving, first. it's thoughtful. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. I just want to stop right there. This is our world right now. This is why people are hopeless in our city, in our state, in our country, and in our world. They're banking on fulfillment in something that will not fulfill them. They're banking on confidence of something that will not give confidence. It will take it away. And literally the picture is, You are trying to build a treasure on this earth with a bucket with holes in it. And as you look at all the work that you've done, you see it's empty. And then you work harder, and the holes get bigger, and it's more empty. This is where people are without Jesus. And the Old Testament is instructive for us today. And it goes on. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. This is God speaking. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Pretty powerful. And then it goes on. It says, therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. You think in this, the people begin to remember that God is real? Yep. Is God less real today than he was then? No, in fact, more is revealed. We're on this side of Jesus Christ coming We know the Lord's provision even greater than these people because we have seen the Messiah who died. We have seen the Messiah who was buried, and we have seen the Messiah who rose again. And here we sit on this side, and the question is, should we not be more generous because all of we've been given, new life in Jesus Christ? And this is a challenge. This is a challenge uh, to me. Um, I don't know if you're a frugal person. Any frugal people out there? Yeah, you like coupons? It's like, I don't want to go to a place unless I have a deal. Nothing wrong with that. But what happens is when we relate to God and we relate to giving and generosity, oftentimes as we deal with this idea of 10% or proportion or giving, most of the time it's, what's the little, the smallest amount I can give and still be okay with God? What's the deal I can get? How's God going to give me what I want at the cheapest price? The kingdom of God is not cheap. Why? It costs you your life. That's what Jesus says. You take up your cross, you will die. And if it's going to cost our life, does that include our money? Yeah. It includes everything. So give careful thought. Uh, To me, what this means is, you know, you turn on a light switch And, you know, there's a part, like, you turn a light switch, and you could just stand and be like, I did that. I brought light to the room. Now, would you guys be amazed at me for doing that? By the looks of your faces, I don't think so. There's a sense, like, you turn the switch, like, (laughs) there's light, guys. Aren't you glad I did that? Because what you know is there's a lot going on under the surface. I may have... Pushed the switch, but there's a power grid. There's switches, there's circuits. There's all sorts of things that we don't know about. And in North Fontana, when there's winds, it may not even work anymore. (laughs) Side note, but we think about it more when it doesn't work. But when it's all working and life's going well, we just we don't give thought to it. When we give to God and we extend and we're generous and we're like God, here here it is. It's a reminder. Here I stand, and God has given me ability that I do not have, and He's giving me gifts that were not my own. And he's given me a breath that I would not have without him. And he's given me talent and skills and a family and experiences. And he's provided again and again and again and again. And so many times all we do in life is we just turn on the light switch and we think it's all us. Giving is a reminder that it's not. There is a God who's calling you forward. There's a God who has provided again and again. There's so much going on that we can't see. And the gift that we give to God reminds us of that reality. And so I would love here at Ridgeview, we have an offering, and we do it every week, and we do it, again, not because Ridgeview needs your money, but because we must worship God even with our money. So when that offering comes by, I know sometimes it comes quick. But the sense is like, that's a bigger part of worship is singing a song. And in fact, we should be excited about it. Isn't that crazy? It's awkward. You're like, is anyone looking? All I got is lint in my pocket right now. That's it. But the picture is like, this is a group of joyful people giving back to God as they've turned on the light switch of their life and they've awoken this morning. Now here you know, at Ridgeview, I know some people give through the offering. People give online. The idea is, however you give, give thought to it. And then however you give, begin with a percentage to remind you of reality. And then third, treasure level giving, it's persistent. Treasure level giving is persistent. 2 Corinthians 8, 7, chapter before what I just read, it says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of what? Giving. So, the idea is there are certain things of the Christian faith, of growing spiritually, of maturing and becoming a person that's like Jesus, that you can never stop doing. And look at that list of faith. You can't be a Christian and stop the faith reflex of your life. It's not like, you know, God, I think I've gotten this down over time. I've seen you come through again and again. I'm no longer going to have faith anymore. I got this. It's ludicrous. You can't get past faith because there's always things that we face that we don't know what God's going to do. We don't know how it's going to work. We don't know what's going to happen. And so there's like, without faith, it's impossible to please God every time. And then it's in complete earnestness. Like there's a, a genuineness. Like we actually want to give ourselves the things that, that matter and are right and are pure. And with our faith, we want to please God in, in everything We want to be genuine. We want to chase the things that really matter. And then it goes on. And in your your love, like we can't get past, like, what would family life look like? It's like, you know what, guys? Tuesdays, we don't love each other. Wednesdays, we'll start again. But Tuesdays, no love. That's ludicrous. Now, if I said Monday, some of you go, well, that's how it feels on Mondays. (laughs) But you can't stop this, and then it goes on also excel in in giving. There's a sense of like these things always are attached to our heart. The change is happening as we do this. So we choose faith, earnestness, genuineness, pursuing the right things, love, and then giving. And the idea is like you can't stop. Like back to this, I actually got this balloon on uh, Thursday or Wednesday night and it's actually doing pretty well. But next week it's probably gonna look as great. Why? Because it, it leaks, and two weeks from now, uh, this illustration would not wa- work at all. I'm sure, and that's a lot like our heart. And the principle is this: is y- your giving yesterday can't move today's heart. Yesterday's giving can't move today's heart. Just like today's giving can't move tomorrow's heart. It's persistent. It's the things that I have to keep after. My, my faith, it, it, it leaks. My generosity, it leaks. There's a sense of like all the things that I do. It's again like that bucket, but I have to keep pursuing those things and asking God uh, for help. I was not always somebody that gave faithfully. Full disclosure. I was somebody that oftentimes just gave when I felt like it. It's like, you know, I'm feeling good today. I'll give. What amount? I don't know. I'll just do it. And so I didn't I didn't give much, much thought to my giving. And it wasn't intentional. It wasn't thoughtful. And then it wasn't proportion. It was just like whatever amount I thought. Usually, as a college student, it was like, how much do I have in my checking account? You Remember those days, like, do I even have money in there? And then it was just random. And then remember I walked through that picture of Sam and I, and it wasn't until I got married and I began to see the faithfulness of my wife in giving. And I remember we started having conversations like, well, t- you know, 10% and giving and tithe and giving above and beyond and open to, to needs of others. And, and I just remember thinking like, oh, like, whoa, you're like, you're taking this like literally. And she's like, yeah, like you you give 10%, like, we give back to God. We want to be faithful on that. We don't want to slip up on that. We want to stay after that. And I just thought, oh, that's different. For the first time in my life, I actually saw this being lived out, like, with, in a way that was impacting me. And, you know, from, from those days, I'm so glad that God put Sam in my life because it actually raised my awareness to what God's word says and the seriousness of it. And so if you find yourself like you just, this is hard for you, and this is uh, uncomfortable for you, this is challenging to you, that's probably good. Because what God wants to do is he wants to get right to your heart and right to your confidence and right to your trust. And he wants to do a work in you. And he wants to change you. And he wants to use your life in ways he may have never used it before. And so I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't feel condemned. But consider, God, if I'm thoughtful, and God, if, if I'm persistent, and God, if I step out and give a percentage of my income, what could you do with my life? Begin to ask that question. I want to just share, uh, you know, for here at Ridgeview, when we started the church In uh, 2018, we moved here with no idea of if this would work. Church planting is kind of a crazy endeavor, it's like starting a business. But you're starting a business with people who are the people you're trying to reach, and then as you reach them, you're also wanting them to support the work. So it's very interesting. And then you have volunteers. So you don't pay the people who do the work of the church, and then you actually ask them to give. You ever thought about that? It's so counterintuitive. It's like, hey, this is going to be amazing, and we need you to volunteer. Not only that, we need you to give. So not only are we not going to pay you, but you're going to pay the church. You know, it's like it, it's counterintuitive. And, and so, but, but I think that represents like that's kind of the kingdom work that, that God does. And so I've been blown away ever since we launched, of what God has done. In this last quarter, before October, uh, the last three months, our giving uh, was over our expenses by almost $22,000. Thank you, Lord. And from, you know, January to, uh, I think, September, uh, that amount was like almost 68000 And I don't say that lightly or even to brag about us, but it's real. It's real. God says, test me in this. See if I won't come through for you. Put your confidence in me. And so uh, for me, I've had to live this as well. And it's scary dealing with money. And I know some of you are strapped and overwhelmed and it's stressful, but God will take care of you. I promise you that, because his word says he will. So as I wrap up, uh, I wanna encourage you, and this may be the hardest next step you've ever had to take, but here's the first one. Take the giving challenge. I encourage you, if you've never done it, give 10% to our church for the rest of the year. We just wrapped up this last day of October. November and December, we've got two months left. What if you decided, like, I'm going to give 10% for the next eight weeks? You don't have to feel guilty. or You don't have to feel, like, pressure to do that. But what could God do if you did? So I want to encourage you, if you want to take the giving challenge, write that on your connection card, giving challenge. And for everyone who writes that, I'm going to make a note to pray for you over the next eight weeks. Personally, that that God will come through and you'll see him work in ways you've never seen. It's not about just blessing you. That's about giving you a perspective of giving to eternity. And God will work and help you see things you've never seen before. And so you may want to take that. The, The second is if you just want to learn more about what the Bible says, and I encourage you, don't listen to just me tell you. Get into God's word yourself. Uh, there's a Bible plan that deals with generosity. and What does that mean? What does God's word said about being generous? And so get into the Scriptures for yourself. And it's four days. If you can spare four days to focus specifically on this topic, this is a great way to get started reading the Bible for yourself, so I encourage you uh, to do that. So Mark uh, Generosity Bible Plan, will send you the link for that as well. And then last but not least, um, we're going to be having a Christmas offering that we had. Uh, we have every year. And this is our way as a church of saying we want to be generous. And this is our way of a church saying we have confidence that God will come through. And so we have a Christmas offering that is really above and beyond what people give, their tithes, 10%, whatever amount they give in their offerings. And we give to ministries here locally that are making an impact in our, you know, our communities. Uh, we give to people across the world who are making an impact in other countries And it's our way as a church saying, you know, we we need to back up with what God has given us as a church. We need to give to others. And so I just invite you to pray what you could give to that. This is our way of saying as a church, we want to make a difference. And we're willing to extend ourselves to bless other people who are making a difference for the kingdom of God. Last year, our goal was $5,000 above and beyond what we normally raise. And we raised $5,100. This year, I think we can up that by 50% and raise $7,500. Could you imagine the people that could be blessed by that money that we give? And so just begin praying. I don't know what the amount that should be for you or a percentage or whatever it is, but just begin praying that God will move your heart to give. And so consider those steps. Now, I'm going to do something that's a little bit different. Uh, What time is it, guys? I don't have my watch. What time is it? Oh, I said a little different. Some things aren't that different. It's kind of late. But um, we actually have a special announcement that's kind of all connected to all of this. And I want to introduce something. Uh, We are, our church is growing and expanding. And I want to invite Cameron up. If Cameron here. I want to introduce you to Ridgeview Church's new associate pastor. So... (laughs) This is Cameron and Jesse. Jesse, who you heard from earlier about Operation Christmas Child, and um, I'm going to get emotional. And if you're new, you're getting a know Ridgeview as I speak, okay? Because I do this. But um, about two years ago, uh, this was pre-COVID. You know, I began to pray that we really needed to expand our staff. I'm um, w- the only full-time staff member part of Ridgeview. I make my living from Ridgeview 100, and uh, when you start a church, you're, you're always having to determine where you are financially and how much you can stress and also like your confidence in God, even as an organization. And uh, I began to pray over two years ago that God would would lead us to somebody who is called to ministry, who wants to make a difference here in our city, in our county uh, for Jesus. And the McCulloughs uh, came uh, in the middle of, of those prayers. And uh, Cameron is called to ministry and uh, wants to really give his life a uh, to the kingdom of God, and he's decided with, with him and Jesse and their family that the pile they want to build is an eternity, and uh, we join them. You guys can step up a little bit. Um, we uh, we join them, and uh, there's a picture, uh, the, the board and I, a couple weeks ago, um, that's the Ridgeview board, a couple of uh, pastors from other network of our churches, and a couple of of um, Ridgeview elders. We uh, asked Cameron about this opportunity. We've been talking to him. I've been talking to him. Uh, We asked him about, um, you know, his call to ministry and what God was doing in his life. And then, you know, as a board, we unanimously voted like he's ready to take this step, and we licensed him uh, to the ministry. And to license means uh, we see your call, we see God's work in your life, we see your heart, and we want to step alongside you uh, to uh, develop that call and to give you an opportunity to make a difference. And so um, I see this as as God's uh, provision. And also for us as a church, everything I've been talking about, this could not happen if it weren't for people like yourself who are giving. So I just want to thank you for your generosity As you can imagine, when you go from one full-time employee to two, it obviously doubles the amount of expenses that you have. And so this is actually a a stretch for us as a church. We have an opportunity now. All of God is done. Uh, We now have an opportunity to to further expand and reach people. And for us to do that, we need more people who are giving their whole time to Ridgeview Organization. And so uh, Cameron left his job uh, that he had had for 10 years in a logistics company and has decided to join uh, the staff full-time here at Ridgeview. So I want to let you know, uh, there's a picture of us laying hands on Cameron. And uh, we did that as a board, uh, praying for God's blessing over him and uh, Jesse. And I also want to invite our Ridgeview board and their wives uh, to pray over him now as a church. And so if you guys could come up, I'm going to lead us in that, that prayer. Uh, this is the realness of God. So I wanted to give you this example. As you step out in faith, God will expand your resources. He will expand your faith, and he'll do a work that only he uh, can do. And so, ladies, if you could uh, lay your hands on Jesse and men, uh, lay your hands on uh, Cameron, and I'm going to pray. And what I ask you guys to do as a church is uh, pray uh, for Cameron and Jesse as they come to mind, as they take this step of faith. And then, I uh, pray for us as a church. What this represents is we now have new opportunities to reach people in ways that we never have. What God is doing is he's bringing reinforcements, many of you who are here, and he's also growing our staff so that we can reach people for Jesus Christ and to show them where the real treasure is found. And so we also have an opportunity because uh, the people part of Ridgeview are also their parents, and so Claire... And Gwen in the back, once you guys raise, this is Cameron's parents. then we have Christy and Pat right here, once you guys raise your hand. So we have a unique opportunity. These people are also a part of Ridgeview and uh, their parents. And so we rejoice with you guys as well. and I commend you for the investment that you've made in your kids. Let's pray. God, you are real, and you're realer than anything that we can see on this earth. and you are faithful. And your word is true. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come alongside Cameron and Jesse and their family as they fulfill the call that you've laid on their heart, the call to ministry. We thank you for uh, both Cameron and Jesse committing their lives to Christ, for deciding years ago to surrender their lives. And then through that, through that surrender, further refining them, growing them, and bringing them to this point. Thank you uh, for the work that you've done in their lives and the work that you will continue to do. I pray for courage over Cameron as he leads in our church. I pray for power that he will lead knowing his confidence is in you. I pray for Jesse as she follows Cameron, as she continues to minister, that you will give her just a sense of your presence over her and peace as she extends herself in faith as well. We pray for their entire family, for their kids. We thank you for them. And Lord, for us as a church, we want to be faithful. We see this opportunity to further extend ourselves for the gospel. There is nothing greater that we can give ourselves to than spreading your light to the darkness around us. So, God, will you give us that passion to do it, to not stop sharing all that we have seen and heard. So we surrender this to you in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.